Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, snowflakes. Welcome back to the New European podcast with me, Steve Anglesey, the editor of the New European Joining me today, it's the Somerset Tofu Enthusiast and New European TV reviewer, Eleanor Longman-Rood. Hello, Ellie. Hi, Steve. And from the small, I think it's about a million uh, strong band of East London comedians who also like German football, it's the New European writer, Matt Withers. Hello, Matt. Hello there. Uh, and coming up from the Bureau of Investigative Journalism and the New Conspiracist podcast, Pulitzer Prize winning uh, journalist James Ball on the first days of Rishi Sunak and the comeback, at least for now, of Suella Braverman. And of course, we'll be putting more malignant ministers, bogus backbenchers and poisonous pundits into our hall of shame. Before that, if you really enjoy what we do at the New European, there's no better way to support us than by subscribing. To make your decision easier, here is a fantastic offer for podcast listeners. New subscribers can get a year's digital subscription for a pound a week, or you can buy a year's subscription for our print and digital package for just £2 a week. What do you get for £2 a week for the print and digital package? unlimited digital access to our archive, lots of newsletters, plus our award-winning newspaper is delivered to your door every week for a year. To take advantage of this exclusive offer and to join our growing community of avid readers, you can subscribe at the neweuropean.co.uk slash TNE podcast. So welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to Ellie and Matt. And the last time we did one of these, the Prime Minister resigned about half an hour later. So fingers crossed. Uh, Ellie, uh, I'm going to be talking in a minute to James Ball uh, about Rishi Sunak and Suella Braverman. Uh, So let's start with a a figure from the dim and distant past. Uh, Liz Truss, how much did you enjoy Liz Truss's farewell speech? Um, I don't know if enjoy is a very strong word. I was quite... Um, endure yeah endured it um I was sort of bemused by it um I was talking with one of my friends who works uh at another publication and he said the same thing where if you scrapped the sentence where it said sort of shortest serving pm and um the backbench sentence at the same time it, it could have easily been another one of her speeches it wasn't an obvious farewell speech I think Emily Maitlis was saying on the news agents podcast that it had quite a weird tone where it was listing all of these things you know what I've achieved in the 44 days and we've done this and done that and if you think they were failings you've clearly been watching something else unfold 
um, the cherry on the top was sort of naturally you know, quoting her favourite philosopher whose work she was so familiar with that she couldn't quite remember how to to say his name correctly. Yes. Um, also, to have that Roman philosophy reference at all, I don't know if she was trying to echo her predecessor a bit there, which a lot of people have said. And then to have that tone of in the farewell um, speech of sort of saying, no, we've done this and they weren't failings and this is what we've achieved, always was echoes of of the way Boris left saying, you know, well, we've done this and actually it wasn't my fault. I've been pushed out and the game changed and they've changed the rules and this sort of thing. But um, no, I was I was quite bemused by it and, en- yeah. and enjoyed it. And it's certainly not going to go in my list of top 10 political speeches. I'll say that. Yeah, I mean, it was quite extraordinary, wasn't it? She she basically said, I'm being thrown out of my job after 44 days and I've, I've learned absolutely nothing from this experience. And I did enjoy her stumbling over uh, Seneca, wasn't it? Um, it was. She, I think she probably you know, near, nearly called him Senapod or uh, whatever. And, and then, uh, but you're right, I hadn't really thought about the the sort of the, the Cincinnatus, the old Cincinnatus uh, bungle of Boris Johnson. Um, Liz Truss is going to write a book, they say now. Uh, I mean, Margaret Thatcher's was called the Downing Street Years. She can't really call hers the Downing Street Years, can she? It's, um, I don't know what another name, what name we'll see it being called. I know this has been used, but you have a series of unfortunate events. Obviously, yes. I know such book already exists. Um, I don't know what we'll see from it. Going off the speech, I don't know if it's going to have sort of many juicy details. And I don't know how she's going to, you know, market it as a way of rebranding herself going forward. I know we discussed this last week as sort of what does what does trust do now? What I on another note, what I do want to know is what happens between spouses behind the doors of number 10. There's been quite a fun sketch come out in the last few days where someone's playing, um, playing her husband Hugh, you know, sort of acting like he's unpacking everything, going like, oh God, what an effort. All of these boxes unpacked, right? The vase is there, the pictures are there, the books are there. And then he sort of turns as trust, you know, enters the room. He's like, You've done what? You've resigned. Oh, and like lobs all these boxes around, which is quite amusing. Um, but yeah, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see what this what this glorious book will be called. Yes, it was quite a, amazing stuff, wasn't it? Hugh, uh, the, her daughters came out. Liberty, one of them is called Liberty. I don't know whether that's named after the concept or, or perhaps the, the the very pleasant shop near Carnaby Street. But uh, but we'll, maybe we'll find that out as well. And then you know, there's so much detail to get in in 44 days or 45 days or however long it was. You know. Quasi and me, the day we blew up the economy. Now I'm 90 minute round with Suella. Can you imagine having a 90 minute conversation with Suella Braverman, let alone a 90 minute round with Suella Braverman? I, the, the mind boggles. Um, talking of books, the book about Liz Trust by the Sun journalist Harry Cole is still coming out. Um, I don't know if you've read any of this. Truss initially refused to be interviewed for the book, but then a clever piece of negotiating by Harry Cole saved the day, and she gave him two long interviews um, for posterity. Uh, one she gave him on the weekend that the mini budget was was imploding. A couple of a couple of days after the well, it was he did it on the Friday, didn't he? And by the Saturday, she was chatting away merrily to Harry Cole, uh, not knowing that her premiership was uh, about to to run out. Did you see how Harry Cole swung it? Uh, I I. I didn't, Steve. Are you gonna are you gonna tell me how he how he achieved it? He achieved it well. A he persuaded her that it would be a really wonderful thing to do for posterity, or B 
he sent her staff a case of sparkling rosé. Ah. think it was. Oh, I'm. I can. Can I go with A and B, and then you can always be right if you say well, it both was, answers. It was, in fact, it was B. He sent. He sent her staff a case of, of sparkling rosé, and she agreed to talk about how wonderful she was over two interviews, which was going to be three interviews. Uh, but I think the second one, the third one, was scheduled uh, possibly for day fifty of her premiership. Um, what do you What do you think we will find out in Harry Cole's book? Well. Firstly, who knows, we may all be in for free copies now, because I believe there's one sort of jovially on the way to, was promised to Starmer after they got the shout out in um that in the Commons. Yes. Um, you know, it's a one for the Christmas, Christmas political stockings. Um, I don't know, but it's interesting to think what the hopes are for the for the book. It was the tweet that was classically doing the rounds last Thursday saying, you know, if you think you've had a bad day at work or whatever, don't at least you're not Harry Cole. And also it's co-written by James Healy from The Spectator doing doing rewrites and basically restructuring um, the back end of the book sort of thing. Um, I imagine there is some seriously, you know, opposed to one that Liz would write, some seriously good, juicy gossip in this one. But on a serious note, I think a lot of people have said that it does focus on, and there's a lot of research into the early days of trust and how she actually got to number 10, which, you know, we sort of, we've been laughingly saying this for months of how on earth she got to where she was, but it is a question I generally want to know the answer to almost like going back as to how, you know, from the Lib Dem days, from the university days to how on earth that path was formed. Um, so yeah, I guess, well, when our, when our free copies arrive, we'll see how much of that we, we learn. She told a succession of people exactly what they want to hear. I think <laughs> I think we will discover that that is the uh, that that is and maybe but maybe she sent out a few cases of sparkling rosé herself. I don't know. Um, Matt Withers, what we're what we're missing in the in the the glorious uh, period of uncertainty when Liz Truss was was out uh, and before Rishi Sunak was here. For for one amazing shining day, it looked like Boris Johnson might be back as prime minister. I mean, you know, as if in this country a senior politician would be able to reside in disgrace and then return to their position in a matter of days. That, that would never happen, would it? Yes, yeah. Uh, whoever could you be referring to? No, it was a it was a, a very weird and quite sad in the in the kind of well I think Boris Johnson would appreciate in in the, the classical Greek sense of it there was something very pathetic about about uh, that that day or so I particularly enjoyed reports of how he was phoning Tory MPs from his Caribbean holiday to promise that he'd learned his lesson would be more professional the second time around I think slightly undermined by the fact that he remains an MP but was on holiday in the Caribbean at a time when the House of Commons was uh, sitting um, you had his, his loyal allies all out on social media um, making these claims that the second time round was going to be completely different. I mean, quite how, I don't know. It would, it would be fascinating to know who he, he, he would surround himself with in Downing Street because he burnt through so many chiefs of staff and advisors. I can imagine that Gito Harry was sat by his phone waiting for the call. Um, another picture, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it, but social media had a day of fun with the photograph of Johnson arriving back in the UK from the yes. Dominican Republic with the, yeah, I think you know the one I mean, with the gap between his untucked shirt and his trousers, um, prompting speculation as to whether the former prime minister wasn't wearing any pants. Um, so Google that or, or rather don't. Uh, or, you know, or had he 
joined the Mile High Club on the way. I'm sure he's already in the Mile High Club, isn't he? Oh, it's, a, it's a horrific thought. It really is, you know. Uh, but uh, a man of his proclivities with access to a number of private jets, I, I would suggest um, he, he's probably in it by now. Um, apart of, from lots of material for your comedy acts, what do you think Boris Johnson 2.0, um, as we have to call him, what do you think that would have brought for us? Well, obviously, uh, 50,000 more nurses, 20,000 yes. more police officers, 40 new hospitals. I mean, that's that's a given, isn't it? Um, we'll never know. The, the interesting thing, I suppose, about the Johnson Premiership is it existed purely to exist. Um, he had he had no great overriding ideology or, or or something that he wanted to achieve, other than pretty much from day one to remain in office and be prime minister. Mm. So I imagine it would have been a further two years of just perennial chaos and and firefighting and scandals. Um, it's, it would be difficult to see exactly how he have had to make. Um, an argument to return into office other than the only one he had really, which his supporters were using, uh, which was the entirely fatuous one, that he personally achieved a stonking great mandate at the 2019 election and thus he deserved to be back in Downing Street. He, It would be interesting to hear what argument and what he wanted to achieve with a, a further two years. 2019 was get Brexit done. I wonder what his three words would have been for a second second period in office. We'll, we'll never know, hopefully. Yeah, I really don't like thinking of Boris Johnson's stonking great mandate. That's maybe <laughs> the, uh, the Mile High Club again. Um, in a moment, I'm going to be talking to, to James Ball about some of the political titans from the Johnson and Truss era who have now joined up with Rishi Sunak. But obviously some giants have left the stage. Who are you sad to see go, and, and and how how did they go? Well, I'll leave Jacob Rees-Mogg because I think you're going to touch on him I am. later. I might, I might bring him up later. Yeah. Um, I guess um, Therese Coffey is an interesting one. Yes, um, because she was deputy prime minister. Yes, for that, four weeks, five yeah, weeks. Yeah, presumably the, the 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 shortest ever serving deputy prime minister because it's it's a relatively modern invention as a as a position. Um, and I suspect that nobody within a couple of weeks' time will remember who Therese Coffey was or that she held one of the quasi-great offices of state. And she'll never get the chance to achieve a noble dream of scrapping anti-smoking campaigns, which was um, something that she was uh, briefing into the newspapers a couple of weeks ago she was going to do, which is uh, a remarkably uh, noble ambition to have. It's really up there with putting people on a plane to Rwanda. Um, and I, I think we'll miss the former Justice Secretary, Brandon Lewis, um, a week ago, Chris Mason, the BBC's political editor, said that sources close to Brandon Lewis were saying MPs are starting to call Brandon, urging him to stand this time. Uh, something that was absolutely, definitely happening, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. So, uh, yes, uh, it'll be very sad to see the back of the great, the, one, one of the great leaders I think the UK's never had, Brandon Lewis. Brandon Lewis, yeah. I mean, uh, Therese Coffey obviously is is sort of hanging around, isn't she? And and can still uh, can still do some damage in the environment or wherever she's been uh, shunted off to. Um, Brandon Lewis lost to us uh, though, sadly. Um, James Dudderich, uh, I particularly enjoyed. He D was Dudders. briefly Dudders. He was trade minister, wasn't he? And then he was they sort of positioned himself as 
the leader of Boris Johnson's campaign, and he was breathlessly giving us updates about he's definitely changed this time. He's even tucked his shirt in, he said. Um, and then he said that Boris Johnson definitely had 100 uh, MPs. Um, and um, James Dudridge now now gone from he was a trade minister uh, and has now gone. And um, it did remind me that James Dudridge's greatest moment before this weekend, uh, before last weekend rather, was when he was minister for Africa briefly uh, about a year ago, and they sent him to a, a state funeral in Africa. Uh, and he had to speak at it, and he said how sorry he was at the loss of this great statesman and what a, uh, a shame it was for the people of Zimbabwe. And the only problem with that was that he was speaking uh, in, he was actually in Zambia at the time at the funeral of the former Zambian leader, Kenneth Kaunda. Uh, but I'm sure the people of Zimbabwe were sad about that too. Um, before we uh, go to James Ball, let's, let's bring uh, you and Ellie back for a minute because Halloween is coming up. Which which political figure would you be dressing as on the 31st of October to, to guarantee the maximum scariness? You've thrown me there for a minute, Steve, by saying political figure, because obviously I was planning to go as a heating bill, the classic yeah, oh, yeah. idea that's been going around. Or, you know, any sort of any sort of bill will will also be um, acceptable. Or even, you know, a, a block of tofu as a member of the woke Arati. I know it will scare Suella Braverman. So there's always that's always a plus. Oh, um, imagine but, that. I know. Knocking on her door dressed as a bar as a tofu. Is a sentence I didn't think I would be saying earlier at the beginning of this week or last week. Um, I don't know. Truss is going to be a pretty obvious one, you know, blue power suit in tow. Because to be fair, I think what is even scarier than her 44 days, you know, that she was in office is that weird elongated smile that she gave after saying she was going to be opening up new pork markets in Beijing. It's quite spooky the way she sort of put clasped her hands together in a very conservative manner and then sort of smiled down the camera. It's like, okay, that's, that's absolutely suitable for Halloween. Yes. Zombie Liz Truss. Uh, yeah. No different to, uh, to actual Liz Truss. Matt Withers, what would you, who would you go as? Well, I was thinking about this, and the obvious one is you're gonna you're gonna get people uh, dressed up cheaply and nastily like Boris Johnson. But I was thinking there is already somebody who looks like a naff, cheap Halloween version of Boris Johnson. That's Michael Fabricant. Um, he really he really does look like some some naff comedian on the Edinburgh Fringe doing a show as, as Boris Johnson. Got the cheapest wig imaginable. Um, yeah, so I was thinking maybe maybe Michael Fabricant. Yes, uh, and uh, and for me, and we will talk about him later. But just you know, if there is uh, if there is such a thing as the sort of you know the Victorian costume, the uh, scary Victorian ghost, possibly from the uh, comedy show Ghosts, uh, or, or indeed the child catcher from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, then obviously you, you've got all the makings of a Jacob Rees-Mogg uh, uh, Halloween kit, haven't you? A pair of Harry Potter glasses and uh, and, and then a quill, and then you're, uh, then you're away. So some ideas there for, for Halloween. Um, but uh, we do have a new prime minister and we have a new home secretary after the long, long seven-day reign of Grant Shapps. So to discuss Rishi Sunak's start and why the hell he's chosen to wreck that start by bringing Suella Braverman back to the Home Office, here comes James Ball. So James Ball, when you wrote a piece for us uh, titled the, Rock, the Rishi Horror Show, rather, about all 
the problems lining up for the new prime minister, we didn't dare to imagine that the first problem would be a problem of his own making, which is obviously the return of Suella Braverman. Braverman. Yeah, I mean, what, what I particularly liked was the completely fake rationale that some doomed minister, I can't remember if it was James Cleverly or Nadim Zahawi, it was one of the morning broadcast rounds and uh, they've both been around this week, uh, sort of said that um, they, you know, they needed her experience in the home office. And um, she did the job for six weeks. That's like half a summer internship. So, you know, you can also sort of see pretty Patel kind of sitting there going, oh, you needed someone with home office experience, did you? Um, because obviously Rishi's done this damn stupid thing as a trade-off for her support at the weekend. But even by the standards of sort of modern politics, coming in saying that you believe in integrity and standards and then... Uh, bringing someone in six days after they resign in disgrace is kind of special, isn't it? I mean, you say stupid thing. I mean, Rishi Sunak not got a reputation as a stupid man, has he? I mean, he should have a reputation as a stupid man. He's a stupid (laughs) man. He's, I mean, he, you know, as as Labour said in quite a good line at PMQs, you know, he lost to a woman who lost to a lettuce. (laughs) Um, If you look, quite a lot of the big lockdown fuck-ups stem from the Treasury and from him. He seemed to think there was no problem having a green card while being the Chancellor. Um, That's true. He's installed a swimming pool that reportedly takes £14,000 a year to heat in the middle of a cost of living crisis. Uh, You know, he doesn't know how a contactless card works. No. Uh, Like, this is, we have no reason to think that he's, I mean, he's politically stupid. I mean, he U-turned on basically every principle he held during the leadership contest. So he's quite lucky that no one's actually tried to hold him to any of it. Yes, and of course, you know, Tunbridge Wells as well, which I think will will come back to haunt him. We I can mean, talk that, about that, that was again. that was in front of people. That wasn't yes. like some secret filming in a smoke-filled room. And like by the time you're actually giving the quote, I took money from deprived inner city areas and uh, gave it to places like this, lovely leafy Tunbridge Wells. That's like the kind of shit villains do in uh, like Disney movies, you know. All he really needed to be doing was like drowning a puppy as he said it. <laughs> I mean, is do you think there could be some element of Dominic Cummings style 6D chess going on? That you know, he had to promote her to the home, he had to, to, to say, okay, you can go back to the home office. We, I just need your endorsement. But but he knew all along that this would, you know, she would probably be exiled anyway. No, because it's his face it's blown up in. If if it was trying something like that, then um, you know the Winnie the Pooh phrase, a heffalump trap? Uh, the idea is you set up a trap for heffalump, and the issue is that you always fall in your own trap. Um, you know, I think uh, it was Dominic Cummings that called Liz Truss a human hand grenade. Well, uh, you know, so Suella Braverman's something of a bomb, but it's Rishi that's standing next to her, so... It's hard to see what the win was. His one asset right now is looking like Captain Sensible, the technocrat to get you through the winter. He's potentially actually got a bit of lucky general type stuff. You know, the markets have calmed a bit. And 
the energy prices are looking quite good. The weather has been mild. And so he might end up with the energy bailout costing vastly less than they thought and the economy healing a bit post-truss. He might have way less in losses and way less in blackouts than it looks. So on that sense, he's a lucky general at the start with a lot of things that can go wrong. And so to overshadow all of that with a completely stupid, unforced error for a politician we all know he doesn't like or rate... And having that person in charge of UK national security, it's uh, yeah, it's just stupid. I mean, we, we we've got we've got used to these scandals, haven't we? And then then causing rapid departures. What do you think would need to happen over the next few days and weeks to actually get rid of Suella Braverman? So, um, I mean, what we'll do it is if the Sundays have something on a further set of security leaks that she'd done. I mean, it's a bit embarrassing having the MI5 is going to have to teach her not to leak. Um, (laughs) You know, I mean, it's just embarrassing, isn't it? Yeah. But, you know, this, she's not the only security risk in the cabinet. Gavin Williams, well, Gavin Williamson's not in cabinet, but he's back in government. And of course he, he got fired for, uh, leaking from the National Security Council. So, <laughs> you know, it's to, to have one sort of minister who's uh, been fired for uh, leaking sensitive information might be regarded as misfortune, two is careless. But it does seem that, you know, the Home Office is a department where it's a nightmare to try and cling on it does feel like she's one more fuck up away from being out again. But I do think the old thick of it, Malcolm Tucker axiom stands, you know, you go after a year, you fucked up, you go after a week or a month, the PM fucked up. Yes. Uh, Sorry if that needs bleeping. (laughs) So not the easiest one. Uh, Yes. Well, I mean, we'll see, won't we? I mean, Jake Berry's intervention, I thought, was extremely helpful. And it's good to see see that he's not bitter at all from his uh, uh, three or four weeks at the the helm of power. It's very very gap year, isn't it? Very much so. Jake Jake Berry was quite well regarded a few months ago. You know, one of the more sensible Red Wall Tories actually trying to sort of hold feet to the fire over leveling up etc but you know it's amazing people end up really damaging their credibility for a shot at uh office even as party chair and uh that that sort of attempt of loyalty to the party really didn't get him anywhere did it not really but i mean when you say one of the more sensible red wall tories i mean you are you are sort of saying he's more sensible than jonathan gullis or lee anderson so it's it's not a, the bar is quite the bar is limbo low i would say i mean with with lee anderson the bar is below the floor isn't it, it? it really is yeah it really is. i mean we've got uh suella back uh, temporarily perhaps we've got kemi badenoch as Minister for Women and Equalities, Oliver Dowden is back in the, the cabinet. It's, it is, I mean, that seems to suggest to me that we are teeing up for two years of pretending that the most serious issue facing Britain are culture wars. I mean, it's quite something to get the equalities brief. And then the first time you're up at the dispatch box with it, 
to settle a personal vendetta against a gay Jewish man, uh, Benjamin Cohen, the owner of uh, Pink News, who has been very supportive of previous Tory leaders as well as Labour leaders. You know, he's he's quite an apolitical figure if you're good on LGBT rights. Um, you know, he's very happily was photographed with Theresa May, etc. This is not some radical left activist. So it's it's just not great vibes if you've got, you know, equalities in your brief to uh, decide to pick on a sort of, you know, pick on someone who hits several of those protected characteristics. He also lives with a disability, in fact. So she's really gone for the triple there. Mm. Um, you know, Oliver Dowden, it's, it's a bit odd in that he was quite well regarded, but just seems to have decided to beat the culture the culture war drum and when you've got a real war it was sort of with Russia and Ukraine you've got food crises across the country you've got climate change we're not quite sure if it gets cold if we can keep the lights on and we've got the biggest cost of living crisis that any of us have lived through you know I don't really want to spend the whole thing worrying about whether you know there's enough Tory speakers at university and, you know, phony arguments over very fringe cases relating to trans rights and women's rights most of the time align. You know, there, there are cases where they don't. There are issues. But actually, it does nothing for either side for them to be used as a sort of political shield. Exactly. I mean, be- before we, we sort of look more at the intray and why it's tempting to indulge in culture wars and fan the flames and use those flames as a smokescreen. I mean, it, it must be said that we've got a British Asian prime minister, haven't we? We've got a, a, a non-white female home secretary. We've got a foreign secretary. Uh, his mum's from Sierra Leone. He describes himself as, as mi- being of mixed race. We've got, you know, Kemi Badenoch, for, for all the faults, is clearly a British uh female rising star of Nigerian descent. It is it is significant, this, isn't it? It is, and it's, it's sort of significant because in any kind of mainstream outlet, it's really, of, of the, the mainstream left or the mainstream right, it's really only just something people are commenting on and kind of going, hey, it's kind of good that in this one aspect it reflects modern Britain. Uh, yes. There was a completely bizarre attempt from Trevor Noah, who doesn't have the greatest history with his own views, to be honest, uh, certainly on anti-Semitism, but where he did a bizarre rant as if there was some big racial backlash against Rishi Sunak, where I think one of his researchers will have had to desperately search, um, you know, search the dark corners of Twitter to find something. And then they hosted a very weird skit saying Rishi Sunak is an Asian which, you know, piss off. Um, Americans tend to mean East Asian when they say Asian, but British Asians have been polled on, you know, do they tend to identify as British Bangladeshi, British Pakistani, British Indian or British Asian? And they are happiest with the label British Asian. Like, So there's this bizarre thing where I think people are almost wishing there's some kind of backlash. You know, it is interesting that it's the party of the centre-right that's got the first British Asian prime minister as well as the first three women. 
it tells you a lot about Labour as the last closed shop of sort of old school white men, to be honest. It really um, does. I don't. I mean, obviously, there's you know, there's a, a, a British Asian mayor of London, isn't there? And uh, but I, 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 I fail to understand why Labour have been so poor at advancing the careers of, of, of politicians yeah. from minorities when you know when there are so many politicians from minorities within the ranks of the parliamentary Labour Party. Yeah, it's it's almost as if they sort of feel because they are a little more socially liberal and they're left wing, they have to be very conservative with the leader. But I mean, you know, they have had a, a Jewish leader in recent history, of course, you know, there's um so we're not they're not totally lacking, but no. You know, we should also acknowledge that in a lot of ways, Rishi Sadak's uh, cabinet is not diverse. Um, he's really made absolutely no effort to balance on gender. Of the 27 people attending cabinet, 20 of them are men, um, which in 2022 feels a bit ridiculous, to be honest. Um, 60, either 61% or 65%, I can't remember which was the correct figure, What one was corrected into the other, were privately educated, yes, whereas actually figure, yeah. only 7% of people in the country were privately educated. Um, I think a third went to Oxbridge. Uh, in, in fact, no, a third went to private school and then Oxbridge. Right. Uh, so, you know... It's it's good on one axis of diversity, but it's poor on gender, it's poor on class, it's poor on education, um, which, you know, sort of could tell you could say you could turn into a broad sweeping point about conservatism, but it might actually just be a broad sweeping point about politics. I mean, one of the the I mean, the one of the first things in his intro as well does involve and it involves but Sue Ellen Brahma, and it involves migrants and, and, and people from the Commonwealth. How does how will he try and square this circle, do you think, of British businesses who are crying out for a loosening of rules on migrants and then Sue Ellen Brahma's insistence that we don't want unskilled labour from India, as proposed by Liz Truss's trade deal with India, and that, you know, despite everything, despite all the needs of business, she is going to deliver this undeliverable promise of net migration in the tens of thousands. God, I, I am, I'd actually love to find whoever first made that as a pledge when it was a completely insincere pledge at the time. Tens of thousands. And was it Theresa May, was it, I think? No, May did it under Cameron. Um, so oh, yeah. I think it came from one of Cameron's advisors. Oh, May, May is a slightly strange politician in that she sort of delivers what she thinks the mandate is. Yes. And so she was told to come in and do tens of thousands. So that's what she she would do. I don't think it was ideological for her in a way that I think it seems to be for Braverman. Mm. Um, but yes, they're fundamentally not compatible. And of course, this was why... Truss was happy to take the opportunity to sack Braverman because anyone who's looking at growth or even just staving off fresh crises and fresh slowdown uh, knows that we need replacements for low-skilled immigration. Uh, You know, we don't have enough profits on productivity to raise wages enough for that to cover these jobs, which is, you know, what a lot of people would prefer so we we're going to have to find some way to import labor you know and 
for all that everyone likes saying points-based immigration systems, it seems, this is sort of the opposite of that. It's, it is low-skilled work that they particularly want. Mm. Um, from a government point of view, low-skilled immigration is great, by the way, because people tend not to stay here. And so you haven't paid for the education. The people pay tax while they're here. They consume you know, basic food services, etc., and then they leave. Yeah, unlike <laughs> a massive drain on the, the health service, you know. So, yeah, because it has to be fairly young, fit workers. Yeah. Um, and so that fundamental tension that Truss was facing, Sunak's going to face the exact same one. And like Truss, his instinct is going to be do the thing that helps the economy. Um, and Braverman's going to resist that. And so he's going to end up in a political fight exactly where he doesn't want it. And, you know, for good or for ill, and I will keep my views stum on this one, but Labour's decided it doesn't want to offer any sort of moral challenge on this. And he's mm. happy to sort of just sound generically fairly tough on immigration. Yes. Um, so Sunak's sort of left with needing to do the practical thing where the politics go the other way and he's got someone who will force it as an issue and make it a fight. Yeah, I mean, and obviously he's, he has rubbed up a couple of people or a couple of groups the wrong way, hasn't he, in, in the start of his week. There is some of Boris Johnson's inner circle that are clearly very unhappy. People like Jake Berry are clearly very unhappy. And, I mean, Penny Mordaunt's face <laughs> as she as she exited <laughs> number 10 was, was one of the more enjoyable things uh, uh, of the last few weeks. He's not immune from internal strife, is he, at the moment? No, he's not a popular man in the party. Uh, and I, I don't think he ever really has been. Um, the he, members, of course, are outraged that they didn't get a vote. Yeah, so you've got issues with the membership. You've got plenty of Boris sort of hardcore acolytes who didn't like him. He fired 11 cabinet ministers. Um, and so, all and also, the party's got a taste for blood. Yeah. You know, regicide is in the air. They sort of know they can't get rid of him, but they're not all that fond on backing him. He's sort of everyone's last choice. It was just a case of, you know, we need any warm body to shove in who's likeliest. And, you know, at least Rishi Sunak's been tested over the summer for sort of scandal, etc. Um, and, you know, whereas someone else might, you know, not having had the summer of scrutiny might have turned out to have some fresh thing that could blow up in their face. So they're stuck with him. But the second he tries to do anything unpopular, they're not going to feel any particular need to support it. Yes. Um, you know, I really do think the clever thing to have done would have been to come in and promise a spring 2023 election. Yeah. Because you say we've got a crisis, you know, we've got to address the finances, we've got to get through winter, there is a global energy crisis, you know, I need some time and we need some stability, but I recognise we also need a mandate. And it would have then made anyone calling for an earlier election look stupid. It would have got him in as the I'm doing the right thing. It would have helped him look like a clean break. Um, and, you know, May is a long way off. Um, you yeah. know, it, it, it actually, I think, was a really obvious good political play. And it didn't surprise me at all when he did the opposite and sort of suggested he's got a perfectly good mandate and there's no case at all for an early election. Yes. I mean, just let's end by 
you know, thinking about the... I mean, he, did, he has got some things right, hasn't he? Do you, th- do you think he's... What, what are the good things that about his first week? I mean, essentially, it's that the markets don't look at him and panic. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, no one thinks he's got to come in and do a load of unfunded spending or some mad experiment. Um, for as long as he can keep that kind of fairly boring, fairly, you know, square thing, you know, that will bring down guilt, that will possibly help growth forecasts a little bit. It essentially makes his life easier. So, you know, the strange thing is the world runs by vibes. And so far, his vibes are good. They're okay. Um, almost everything else is is tricky. He's kept he's kept hunting, he's kept cleverly in. That was probably the right politics moves. It was probably about the right thing for that. Um, you know, he's seen as an unknown quantity on foreign policy. He's got no experience of it. Um, but he's making noises to sort of appease that wing of the party. Uh, there's an interesting sign in that Andrew uh, Mitchell is back in on yes. development. That very strongly indicates that he wants to do 0.7% on development, which I think is both good foreign policy and good moral policy. Mm. Um, ben Wallace is still there in defence, which suggests he's going to continue the sort of Ukraine support. He's going to continue to modernise the military stuff. So the good things are largely things that he hasn't sort of screwed up brackets yet. Um, But to give him some bits of credit, you know, all of those seem decent and seem like the right first steps. Yeah, they do. I mean, but yeah, even though the, the, the financial news looks better, there is still, you know, there's a lot of industrial strife and industrial unrest to unpick, which is always dodgy for a Conservative Party. There is the ongoing scandal of the underfunding of the NHS. And of course, you know, the, the central fact that there are going to be some cuts, aren't there? And there are going to be probably going to be some extra tax rises and they're going to be instituted by the richest prime minister that we've, we've probably ever had, you know, I mean, I'm sure. I mean, this this is the issue. He's worth £730 million. Pounds. Yes, it is. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. when you see a cut to, say, £50 million or £100 million, you can't help but think the prime minister could pay for this out of his pocket. Yeah. And that's, you know, it is a difficult time to be an ultra-rich prime minister. You know, on one level, you kind of think my heart bleeds. But... It is it is tricky for him because most people at the moment are looking at, you know, if they had 50 quid spare at the end of the month a year ago, they're now going 50 quid further into debt every month if they're lucky. Yeah. Um, and so everyone is really looking at the pennies and you've got a PM who could lose a million quid down the back of the sofa and not notice it. Yeah, um, that's, that's got to be tricky when it comes to cuts and tax rises, especially because his party's not remotely unified on what they want from those. It's sort of one thing to say that you want 30 billion, but you know, even sort of non, you know, you don't have to go to a radical left wing sort of think tank to get the view that there is, there's not efficiency savings to be found anymore. If you want to cut, you have to cut meat you know you've got to cut actual stuff um you know if you want to raise taxes 
maybe, maybe, maybe windfall tax, but you know, most likely it will, you know, it will be something that falls on real people and that will be pain as well. Inflation is high. And even with the current sort of market rates, uh, you know, even with the current budgets for the departments, they don't have the money for pay rises for staff. So there really is a lot of difficulty ahead. Yeah. Um, Stamp duty. I mean, you know, the, the 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 great power of the the British economy. People selling houses to other people. That's uh, that is declining. Uh, well, they say be careful what you wish for, and it, you know, he wished he wished to be prime minister, and uh, there may be trouble ahead for for Rishi Sunak. I think uh, James Ball will be covering it all. So thank you. So the pain I go through for our readers. <laughs> And listeners. <laughs> Ellie, James Ball there saying Suella Braverman is an unforced error which is going to come back to haunt Sunak uh, and that a showdown with Suella Braverman uh, over the unskilled migrant labour that we need is on the way. What do you make of Rishi Sunak, uh, Suella Braverman and this whole bizarre start to his prime ministerial reign? I think what James was saying there is is spot on. It was like completely an un, unforced error that he didn't need to need to do, need to bring her back. Um, you know, I know we've put him in the Hall of Shame before, but Jake Barry was, you know, saying that there was a um, it was a huge error and that there's going to be issues behind it. And it, obviously there's a lot of MPs questioning, questioning the move. I think we can see that from PMQs where he couldn't quite escape the comments around Suella Braverman, nor could he really give a proper defense of them. Um, there was a lot of things that he couldn't sort of shirk off in in PMQs as well as his sort of deprived areas comment. Um, I think yeah. it Starmer was quite good. It was Starmer being Starmer the way he opened it, sort of listing off um first congratulating him, which is, you know, ever the sort of lawyer speech that he does and very classy, but then quickly going into it, um, especially quoting you know, comments that have been said about Sunak. What I was going to say, actually, I do think what Ball was saying on Trevor Noah, which has been doing the rounds on Twitter this morning and this thing about the international perspective and the Daily Show, I do sadly agree with what James Ball was saying because I say sadly because I'm such a fan of Trevor Noah and I love the Daily Show. And normally I think his analysis, especially the outtakes they do in between guests, where it's him sort of just chatting and doing it live with the audience he's normally dead on and I think it's also he normally brings another perspective that you haven't really thought about and I also think generally he's very funny and his accents are well at least I think are very good but the whole the Sunak and the racist um, response to it that's apparently in the UK I just don't get it and it doesn't seem to quite get the tone at all and it seems that I know it's quite interesting if if that is what's being seen um, how it's being viewed across the pond that there's some sort of huge racist backlash against um, Sunak getting into number 10. Um, I know obviously the like day after it was announced and the leadership that we had those unpleasant comments come through on the um, LBC caller. But as, as you know, the fact that this racism is seen as dominating the, the national tone, I think if there's any backlash or anything, it's against, you know, the Tory government and Tory rule and his policies. It's not, 
a huge race debate. Um, and then the comparisons between sort of Sunak and Obama as well are quite rogue and quite random mm. from him. And I think Praveena Rudra did a really good take on this. Well, not on Noah specifically, but just on this issue in the New Statesman saying that comparing the two men isn't just wrong. It's also kind of offensive. So, no, I think that's an important point to to raise. Um, and it is a shame because, like I said, I think Trevor Noah normally gets it dead on. But I think this was a case where he very much didn't. Yes, it's very, very weird uh, thing that. Uh, and on Braverman, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a, just a, a stunning, it's a stunning uh, development, isn't it? I mean, I know that he had to offer us something to to, well, to effectively to join him in knifing Boris Johnson. Uh, she sort of killed off uh, Boris Johnson's uh, leadership campaign, really, didn't she? But uh, but to offer her that, I mean, if there are if there are two places you don't want the. The, the nickname Leaky Sue, I would suggest one of them is an aerobics class and the other one is is in the home office. Uh, but there you go. Um, Matt, Ball, uh, Matt, Matt Ball, Matt Withers, James Ball also says uh, Rishi Sunak should have called an election for next May to buy himself a mandate uh, and that he's got a real problem being Britain's richest ever prime minister at a time when he's about to announce a lot of tax rises, spending cuts. What, what, what do you think about the, those things? Well, on the election, he was he was never going to do that. Um, that's, he, his MPs don't want that. They don't want to think about that. They're not going to vote for that. They don't want to be unemployed, do they? No, yeah. absolutely not. Um, even even if he was to say uh, next spring, um, this winter is going to be awful. Um, people are going to feel the pinch like never before. The NHS, the, the headlines over December and January will constantly be about an NHS on the brink of collapse. So if he just about squeaks through that, that is not the time he's going to want to go to the country um, because people do not reward um, out outgoing governments for just about getting through. Um, and his MPs know that. And they and as, as you say, uh, an awful lot of them at the moment, an awful lot of them will be losing their jobs. Um, so that's that one is, is not a, a, a flyer. As for his wealth... Uh, I'm not sure, and I know I shouldn't say that. I know you've got to, have, you know, in the podcasting world, you, you need to be kind of definitive. Um, I don't know if there will be a backlash to his wealth or if there's more of a, um, you know, a kind of, well, you know, he, he's largely self-made, or, you know, obviously his, 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 his wife's very rich and he, he, he married up to an extent but he's he's gone into public service I, I, I don't know I'm not sure yeah. in Britain if there is that kind of backlash against wealthy people I, I think we saw that a bit of um labor um under under Ed Miliband a, a little bit try to, to play that card like you know the, the writing writing checks for millionaires and it just it didn't seem to fly at all so I, I'm not convinced that will that will come into play as much as some commentators think. I may be proved wrong on that. Well, you know, I think there are people that will say he doesn't really need the job. You know, he's doing it out of altruism and, and a belief that he, he's got the right policies to make things better for, for other people. But I also think that it's, you know, uh, that if you if, if, if Rishi Sunak was to announce... Or, Jeremy, or to ask Jeremy Hunt to announce a cut of £360 million to something uh, in, in, on the uh, on November the 17th, people could quite rightly say, well, 
you could pay that £360 million out of your personal wealth and you would still have more than half of your personal wealth uh, next. Do you think Rishi Sunak will be, in terms of what James said about opposition to him within the party and festering things, Boris Johnson loyalists angry, Penny Morden uh, angry, members angry, do you think he will still be the Tory party leader uh, at the time of the next election? Uh, yes, I do, um, because, I mean, as much as you can predict anything at, at the moment, yeah. I can't possibly I couldn't say... say that it'll be later next week. Yeah, I, I can't I can't envisage um, them jettisoning another leader. I, I mean, it's ridiculous that we're in the situation we're, we're, we're in now with the, the, the second unelected prime minister, but I can't see, I can't see that happening. Um, I mean, it's an entirely fair point that he has not got the goodwill amongst his membership um, that uh, Johnson and to an extent uh, Truss had. Uh, a lot of the membership dislike him greatly. Um, they dislike him greatly, um, not for the reasons that Trevor Noah would probably believe, um, but because they believe that he knifed Boris Johnson and Boris Johnson remains the absolute darling of the Conservative grassroots membership. They don't see what he did wrong. They don't see why he's not there anymore. And if he does slip up, um, I don't think he's got that goodwill to fall back on that other people might. And it would have to be something very major. Um, and I can't I can't see what that might be between now and the election. No, it be it is quite difficult to see, isn't it? Uh so uh let's then turn finally to the, the Hall of Shame, which is obviously where we put malignant ministers, bogus backbenchers, poisonous pundits. Uh, I got a couple of choices. Let me start with one. I'll start with Anne Widdicombe, of course, who we have in every week, all through the world's worst column in the world's worst newspaper, which is the Daily Express. Uh, and Anne Widdicombe has got uh, praise for Britain's worst ever prime minister uh, in this. She writes, well done, Liz Truss, uh, for making a statement on leaving Downing Street without moist eyes and a wobbly chin. It was a magnificent demonstration of the British stiff upper lip in an age when everybody is expected to let it all hang out, I mean, when was the last time somebody said let it all hang out? I think it's probably the 1960s. In an age when everybody is expected to let it all hang out, uh, to pour out the most intimate details of their lives and to weep at the drop of a hat, any display of stoicism is a breath of fresh air. I suppose it would be too much to hope that this might set a precedent. Uh, well, I agree with Anne Widdicombe. And when Anne Widdicombe finally does hang up her pen, uh, indeed, when Unwittycombe finally shuffles off to the great strictly glitter ball in the sky, uh, I can guarantee that across Britain there will be few, if any, moist eyes and wobbly chins, uh, although that will be nothing to do with stoicism. It will just because, uh, be because nobody likes Unwittycombe. Uh, Matt Withers, who are you putting in the Hall of Shame this week? Dan Watton, GB News host and Mail Online pundit, who knows who is responsible for preventing his hero Boris Johnson from returning to Downing Street, the Ramonas. Uh. He wrote in his Mail column this week, I watched the gas all weekend long as the MSN news broadcasters in this country conspired with Tory grandees and the Westminster blob to make it impossible for Boris to put his name forward. 
The drumbeat over the weekend from the MSM Twitter influencers like Robert Peston, Beth Rigby and Paul Brand, who have an outside sway over Westminster, was that the return of Boris would have been impossible. I'll just break away to mention that he's always having a pop at the mainstream media, Dan Watson, and he uses his column for one of the world's most read websites to, uh, to do it. Um, he, he finishes off. They know their campaign to keep Boris off the ballot will likely end up resulting in their man Keir Starmer in power within two years, running the most woke government ever where Eddie Izzard is elected on an all-female shortlist. Don't say I didn't warn you. Dan Wotton, you are a very, very silly man, and off into the Hall of Shame you go. Uh, he didn't mention tofu there, but I think the rest of the, the Dan Wotton bingo, <laughs> the woke karate, all of that... Uh, that's amazing. I mean, just amazing. Uh, Ellie Longman Rood, who is in the Hall of Shame for you? Well, before I before I start mine, I just I'm really looking forward to more debates on on wokery and tofu eating and stuff in yes. the, as that will unfold in the Commons. I'm sure over the next um, over the next well, however long, however long we have till the general election. But no, so first first up for me is, of course, Liz Truss, who resigned eight minutes after rec- recording finished in last week's podcast. How's that for timing? Eight, was it eight minutes? It I was said eight half minutes. an hour before, but yeah, eight minutes. Wow. Well, eight minutes, half an hour, but she was, I mean, we, we all acknowledged that she was going to go, but no, eight minutes. Um, anyway, so her, her resignation, which does feel a lot longer than a week ago now, came with her bizarre farewell address, which we've mentioned as she left Downing Street on Tuesday, where she reeled off these successes and achievements that she'd felt she'd made. Um, she said there were brighter days ahead, but not before she did, as we've mentioned, paid tribute to her favourite philosopher, Seneca, whose work she knew so well that she didn't actually know how to pronounce his name. Now, a few weeks ago, We had the following letter through to the New European. It reads, Sir, the country has yet to be exposed to the delights of Boris Johnson's resignation honours list. As Mandrake reported last week, the process of approvals is taking some time. Is it possible that Liz Truss's resignation honours will be approved and published before Johnson's? Well, dear reader, it seems the answer could quite possibly be yes, after reports that the shortest serving prime minister is gearing up and releasing her own honours list, a list that has been since dubbed a reward for failure. But as knighting, as the knighting of Gavin Williamson did teach us, we are in the UK after all, the land of failing up. Um, and then, of course, speaking of Gavin Williamson, he can go in the Hall of Shame too. The yes. former education and defence minister who let school children dramatically down during the pandemic with the way he handled exam results. He also confused Marcus Rashford with the Saracens player Maro Itoji and has a pet tarantula called Cronus, because why not? Um, and he's now back in the cabinet office and he's also back in the Hall of Shame. So excellent things all round. Good work. Lovely to see you back, uh, Gavin Williamson. And my final selection for the Hall of Shame this week is Jacob Rees-Mogg. We mentioned him briefly earlier. Uh, He's no more. Uh, His resignation letter to Rishi Sunak uh, was dated St Crispin's Day. Not for for Jacob Rees-Mogg, the simple uh, day and month. St Crispin's Day, he dated it. Uh, St Crispin is the patron saint of cobblers, which feels very appropriate when you talk about Jacob Rees-Mogg. Jacob Rees-Mogg spent over 200 days as Secretary of State for Brexit opportunities, failed to find a single Brexit opportunity, uh, apart from the freedom to eat toxic food, freedom not to have paternity leave, freedom to work 
uh, even longer hours of freedom for exporters to have to follow two sets of regulations rather than one and the freedom to wrap up all our businesses in red tape till they suffocate. Uh, and his reward for 200 plus days of success there, uh, his big Brexit freedoms bill, which he was happily tweeting about on the day he resigned, is being deprioritised by Rishi Sunak. Uh, sensible EU laws will now not have to be repealed until the end of 2026, when hopefully this government will just be an unpleasant memory. Uh, so what is our requiem for Jacob Rees-Mogg? How do we say our goodbyes to him? I can find nothing better than the words of the for former Tory MP Nicholas Soames, uh, Churchill's grandson, of course, who, who was talking to the Times in 2019, and he said, Jacob Rees-Mogg is an absolute fraud. He is a living example of what a moderately cut double-breasted suit and a decent tie can do with an ultra-posh voice and a bit of ginger stuck up his arse. Uh, I'm sorry about the last bit, uh, but let's leave you with this happy thought. We may be stuck with another Brexiteer Prime Minister. We may be stuck for a few weeks at least with Suella Braverman. But thank Christ, for now, we have seen the back of Jacob Rees-Mogg. That was the New European Podcast with Eleanor Longman-Rood, Matt Withers and me, Steve Anglesey. Thanks to you all for listening. Thank you to our ace producer, John Dakin. Uh, Ellie, uh, thank you. Are you going to say goodbye to the fine folks? Goodbye, everyone. Uh, and Matt Withers, goodbye. Goodbye. Uh, if you don't want to miss an episode of our podcast, please subscribe. Give us nice ratings and lovely reviews. You can join our Facebook readers group. You can follow us on Twitter at The New European. Uh, a reminder of our special offer for new subscribers. If you go to theneweuropean.co.uk slash TNE podcast, you can join us for £1 a week for digital, £2 a week for print and digital. Uh, and then the, all that's left for me to say is so long, snowflakes. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their Golden Glow body set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow & Go facial set provides spa-level results at home. Both sets come in giftable boxes with savings up to $48 and free shipping for a limited time. For 10% off your first order site-wide, go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM.